Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. And we're going to begin a series today. And uh, from now until Easter Sunday, we're going to look at seven mountains in the Bible. Mountains are something in the Bible that uh, they're all throughout it, but we're going to focus in on seven of them. We're going to talk about Mount Horeb today, where Elijah ran from Jezebel. It kind of dovetails into what I was talking about last week. And then next week, Lord willing, we're going to talk about uh, Mount uh, Sinai. And then we're going to talk about where Isaac or Abraham brought Isaac, his son, to the mountain to sacrifice. We're going to talk about the Mount of Transfiguration. So we're going to talk about covenant. We're going to talk about miracles. We're going to talk about a lot of different things. But today in 1 Kings 19, I believe that I have a word that if we'll allow the Holy Spirit to change us, He'll change us. How many came and said, God, I just need you to change me today? Amen. I'm in the right room. So if you want to hear from God, you've got to open the Word of God. Amen. And I believe the Word of God has the power that no matter how you came in here today, when you sit under, under the anointed Word of God, it has the power to change your life and to help you get back to a place of intimacy with God. There's power in God's Word. Amen? Amen. And I've learned in my life when it comes to mountains that there are some mountains that I, as Jesus said, that you can speak to this mountain and see it plucked up and removed. But I've also lived enough of life with the Lord to know and understand that sometimes the mountain doesn't move. God gets me moving towards the mountain. <laughs> sometimes the mountain doesn't move out of my way. God gives me the strength. God fills me with His Spirit. God gives me an, a strategy to become a mountain climber. So in the story we're going to look at today is about the prophet Elijah. We talked about it last week, about how he had gathered there on the mount. No rain for years. They took the water, poured out what was precious to them on the sacrifice. And when they offered to God what was precious to them, they saw the fire fall. And there was a great victory that happened. The prophets of Baal and the prophets of Ashtaroth, which are two idols that the people of Israel were worshiping, they were destroyed and a great victory has happened. And today I want to talk about how God really, with one or two ways, will either move the mountain, we can speak to it and it moves, or today what we're going to see is God will help us climb the mountain to get to the place God has for, for us. And when the world faces a mountain, when we face a mountain, or when people we know face a mountain, there are really only four ways that you can, you can respond to the mountain. And you say, well, what's a mountain? Anything difficult that's in front of you that God said that you could either speak to in prayer and see it move, or many times in my life, God will say, hey, the mountain's there, and I'm going to give you the strength to climb up, up it. But really what we see in the story we're about to read in 1 Kings 19 is when we face something insurmountable, when we face something that we feel like we cannot get to the top of or overcome, because the Bible talks a lot as we talk about mountains over these next seven weeks, concluding with, on Easter Sunday, Mount Calvary and the victory that Jesus won on that mountain. But as we walk through this series and these places where God met people on mountains, when we face a mountain in front of His church, there's really only four things that we see people do. And number one that people do is resignation. We say, well, that's just the way that it is. I guess I'm always going to be sick or I'm always going to be broke. And they just resign themselves to living in a place of lack, living in a place that God never intended. And then the second one is detachment. We can all, if we see a mountain, if we see something that we feel like we can't overcome, then we just get detached. We distract ourselves so we don't have to think about the mountain. Or we resign ourselves and say, well, this is just the way it is. Or, and I've done this before in my life, I see the mountain and I just get filled with bravado. Right? Bravado is just, hey, I see the mountain and it's not going to stop me. And bless the Lord, I'm just going to, in my own strength, conquer what is in front of me. And I want to give you a fourth thing today that can help us, and it's this. The, the response to a, a seemingly insurmountable obstacle in the people of God's way, the fourth thing that we should look at today, and we're going to look at this deeply, is I will exalt the Lord. Amen? Because if we learn how to exalt the Lord over our mountain, then we understand God's in the process of helping us climb the mountain. So today isn't about speaking to the mountain and seeing it removed. To see a miracle happen in the way of mountains, sometimes God will use mountains in the climbing of that mountain to teach something about who He is and also to reveal something about who we are. Reveal if perhaps you're operating in resignation. The story we're going to look at today in Elijah's life 
is he has won a great victory. He has had the threats of Jezebel and Ahab, the leaders of Israel at the time. And it was amazing. One little threat, one little sentence from Jezebel, the demonically operating spirit at the time that was coming against God and coming against what God wanted to do. And really, you're only in one of two places as you sit here this morning, and this is something we need to start to declare to the world around us, is there is no middle ground when it comes to the kingdom of God. You're either on God's side or you're not on God's side. We run into people all the time that think, well, I'm just going to stay out of all that religion stuff. I'm going to stay out of all the culture wars. I'm going to stay. If I leave the devil alone, he'll leave me alone. No, 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 no. You are either on one side or the other this morning. In other words, Ahab and Jezebel were being used by the enemy, by the forces of darkness, to bring darkness and, and destruction and the evil things upon the country of Israel. And Elijah was raised up to be a prophet to declare God's word to the prevailing culture of his day. And in this story, we see that Elijah began to run from something and began to run to the wrong thing. So with that in mind, let's read God's word found in 1 Kings 19, verse 1. This is the reading of God's word this morning. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that one of them. A threat from the enemy right there. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servants there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head were some bread baked over hot coals in a jar of water. He ate and drank, and then he laid down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up, ate, drank, strengthened by that food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. Heavenly Father, for these next few minutes, moments, and weeks, Lord, as we open your word and break the bread of your word, I pray today, Father, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would change our lives, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that you would encourage those today who have run away from the problem and they're sitting under the the broom tree this morning and they don't feel like they can take another step. God, I pray that your strength would be in this place. I pray that your comfort would be in this place. I pray today that by your word as I preach it, that it would literally cause strength and peace to be infused into our lives this day. Father, we pray these things and ask in the mighty name of Jesus and all God's people said, So I want to give you context to the content that we just read. And for the sake of time, just to simply say, as we talked last week, and this dovetails into that a little bit, is Elijah has won a great victory. How many know that it's oftentimes when you win the best of victories and you're riding high on a spiritual momentum is when the enemy is going to come in and threaten? Church, I want to tell you, just as a side note, that's really all he has is threats against the people of God. When you're blood-bought, when you're washed in the blood and you belong to God, you're His child, listen to me. We have authority over the enemy, not the other way around. You're filled with God's Spirit. You're filled with authority. But that doesn't mean that we don't have times, because I've had many in my life when I see a threat from the enemy, when I see the enemy stirring things up, when I see him doing something that I don't want to necessarily deal with, we can react a lot of times like Elijah. Because when he is threatened, it says he arose And he ran. Everybody say run. Run. Which leads me to my first point. Here's Elijah who James clearly tells us is a man just like ourselves. And what he means by that is Elijah was a normal guy. He put on his pants like everybody else. He, he, you know, had struggles. He had things he was worried about. He had all these things. So what my first point today is, I want you to catch this, is you can be strong and still have struggles. 
You can be strong. Elijah was a man just like ourselves, the Bible says, but the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So if you came in today and said everything's about to preach doesn't apply to me because I don't feel powerful, I don't feel like I could ever move mountains, I don't feel like I could ever uh, come against things going on in my family or things going on in my community or, or spiritually take, take authority over a community. But the Bible says this, that even the youth get tired and faint. Amen? That there's times where even the strong begin to struggle, and that is not something that is unusual to a true person of God. That we can all go through times when we end up like Elijah, where we maybe have had a great victory, and immediately after that victory is when we need to be on our best guard. Because the enemy does not just roll over, church. He does not just let you go on your way and, and your family not be messed with or him not try to bring something against you. You can, be, you can be in a place like Elijah where you've seen a victory, but you still come to a place where you struggle. And allow me to say this. If you find yourself struggling, it doesn't mean you're weak or a bad person. It just means that you're a person. Amen? Some of the best advice, and I talk about my grandfather a lot, but some of the best advice he gave me that I still remember very clearly. We were sitting there talking and praying and doing a devotional together, and he was teaching me the Word of God. And he looked at me and he said, Jason, he said, I want you to understand something about your spiritual life. And he said, I'll be gone to be with the Lord by the time you, you know, grow into what God's calling you into and you have a family yourself. And he said, don't ever forget this. He said, Jason, you can, you can always discipline yourself and apply yourself to God's Word and apply yourself to what God has for you to do and, and become more spiritual. But he said, Jason, you'll never be less human than you are right now. Amen? So sometimes we have to back up and look at the people that, like Elijah who arrived at Mount Horeb. We're going to get to here in just a minute. But there's some things I want to point out in Elijah's life. And number one is that even, though, even, though, even the people who are strong struggle sometimes it's it's okay to struggle but it's not okay to stay in your struggle it's okay to have even some doubt sometimes god what are you doing in my life where are you moving in my life what are you what are you up to in my life or or the financial problems don't seem to cease or something else that's going on in our lives and we see elijah is in just such a place here he's a great prophet of god he has seen the victory of god but yet now because of a well-placed threat from the enemy, from Jezebel, he's now on the run. Everybody say run. run. Because I've learned this, and let me ask you a question today, personally, as we see in the story, Elijah has run from the threat. He's run from the problem. Let me ask you a question today, and this is important when it comes to the mountains we'll be studying over these next few weeks. What are you running from? Stop and think about that for a minute. What is it that you are running from this morning. The distance that scholars and commentators on these scriptures would tell us is he ran 120 miles away. That's how far that he began to move away from what he considered to be the problem and into. He was running from, uh, and we, if we're honest today, we all get to a place where we're running. We're running from pain, we're running from problems, we're running from difficulties. We're running from a painful experience in our past. And a lot of times, if we're not careful and we don't identify what we're running from, we'll never get deliverance from what God said we would have deliverance from. Then let me ask you this. Not only the question of what are you running from, but what are you running to? Because we all have the tendency to run to things. Amen? If you look at somebody's life and evaluate it in a godly way, in a way that would want to help somebody... Then you ask those questions because most people are running from something and we all have the tendency to run to something. We have the tendency to hide away from what's really going on and we run from it and then we're running to something that is probably unhealthy. There's a great question where, you know, people uh, debate and talk about, you know, should a Christian drink? And I think that's a bad question. Here's a question I want to ask yourself this morning, because if, if you're running from something in your life, you're already running to something. You're running to something. So what we do is we run to alcohol. We run to pills. I mean, I'm not trying to be Dr. Phil on you this morning, but I do want to tell you, in all seriousness, as we see in the story, when he's threatened, he begins to run and he's running from something, and he begins to run to something that wasn't of God. 
And we all have a tendency to do this. It could be money for you. It could be shopping. It could be we kind of pigeonhole different areas. But my point is a broad meaning this morning is what are you running from in church? What are you running true to? Because if, if you caught what I said earlier, Elijah has already done two of the three things that I talked about because he has already resigned himself. Well, I guess that's just the way it's going to be. Jezebel's still alive. She wants to kill me. She's going to destroy me. I'm the only one left that really loves God. I'm the only one left that really stands for truth. I'm the only one left that... So it's just me. And what did he begin to do? As he's running from something, he didn't run to the correct thing. So what we see here in the story is he begins to simply get depressed because he runs to a broom tree. Over the next seven weeks, I'm going to point out every area of mountains that have a tree involved, and it always points back to the beginning of the Garden of Eden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we're going to point those things out. So what are we running from and what are we running to today? You know, when my kids would get hurt when they were little, they ran away from the problem or the bug bite or the bee or the whatever it was that had frightened them or whatever. And what did they do? They began to run to their parent. They began to run to me. And in Elijah's case, he feels alone. He feels like, God, she's threatened me, and I guess I'm on my own, so I'm going to run and hang out under a broom tree. Now, I need you to understand something. Everyone medicates in some way. The question today is, is, is what is it that you're running to to medicate? yourself. When you're dealing with struggles, you're dealing with Jezebels, when you're dealing with problems in your life, the question is, what are you running to? Adam and Eve did this in the garden that I just mentioned. When they had sinned and they'd eaten of the the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what did they do? They ran. They ran to the trees. What did Elijah do when he faces a problem? He ran. I whether it be online this morning or sitting right here in this room, I came to talk to some people and tell you, you have to stop yourself sometimes and say, what am I running from and what am I running to? What are some reasons that we run? One reason we run, I think, is we, we, we run to feel. Everybody say feel. We run to feel something or we run to numb something. Look, most things that we run to aren't in and of themselves bad. Some people run and they get in a place like Elijah did and they just sleep. Sleep's good, amen? Amen. Sleeping 20 out of 24 hours is not. We run to TV. You know, relaxing and sitting and watching a little bit of TV to relax and go on to bed isn't a bad thing in and of itself. But if you're watching mindlessly hours and hours and hours and hours of TV, you have to stop and ask yourself the question, what am I running from? And God, what am I running to? It's an evaluation in our lives because sometimes we get in a place where we can literally either feel too much of the pain and the hurt that the world causes or we get into a place where we just feel numb. Has anybody else just felt numb at times? Am I the only one? And it says he goes and sits under the broom tree because sometimes church is we're humans. We walk through life, maybe the marriage didn't work out, maybe the job promotion didn't come through, maybe you you are going and walking through a valley that you just don't understand where God's at and what He's up to, and oftentimes we come into a place where we sit under where the enemy wants us to sit instead of standing in the place that God has told us we should stand. The place where God wants to come and to, to take the, the layers off of your heart and begin to feel again, begin to feel the joy of the Lord, begin to feel a little hope stir in your heart and in your life. Because Elijah was just in such a place. He was running away from the feelings that he has. Sometimes we run just to have. When you run to have, you're trying to fill your life with something that only God can fill When we say, well, if I just get the better house and I get a nicer car and I have this worked out and that worked out, then maybe I'll be happy. And we make life about all the stuff we have. And how many have understood that have acquired stuff, the stuff doesn't amount to a hill of beans at the end of the day. It doesn't. Because everything breaks, you know. It it never fails. I happened to get a new truck a few months ago. And, and when this happened, I just shook my head. I didn't get mad. Thank God. 
I didn't run. I didn't get upset. The very, I didn't even have this truck for 24 hours. And I pulled in the breakfast station to meet Leah for breakfast, went in, talked to a little group of guys in the parking lot, and they were like, man, I like your truck. I've never seen that car. You know, it's good. I chatted with them. I saw this car pull in right beside me. And I had even parked on the end. Leah gets mad at me because I parked my car like 86 miles from, like, just stay away from my any car that I have. I've always done that. And I was parked in the very front of the parking lot, and I'd even given extra room. And when I came out, I saw it immediately. The, didn't even have that car for 24 hours. And somebody had already hit the back bumper of it. Oh. Put us about a 12 inch, it looked like a 36 inch scratch to me. I'm like, <laughs> it was about this big. And before I ever got upset or angry, I said, you know what, it's just stuff. There's always a reminder that even the new cars start to wear out, and even the new clothes, and even the... So he's running from something, and we oftentimes, as we're running, we run two things, and we run to feel, we run to numb, we medicate ourselves. The United States of America is the most medicated country on the face of the earth. And there's some of the most depressed, despondent. But I came just to tell you from this story, the mountain that God was telling Elijah to climb, if he never would have got up underneath the broom tree and quit feeling sorry for himself and to take a journey into a meeting with God, because we're going to talk about Mount Sinai, we're going to talk about Mount Moriah, and he begins to make a journey that God called him to make to Mount Sinai, which was the place that God first introduced himself to the people of Israel. We're going to talk about that in depth. To me, as I've read it over the years, we just read that and we think it was the giving of the Ten Commandments, that God came down in fire, the people were afraid, Moses, you go up, we don't want to go near all that. It was a marriage proposal to the people of God. And this mountain that God, he's heading towards, again, what are you running from and what are you running to? He was running to the broom tree to lay down and say it's over because if we're not careful, if we're not running towards the right things, then the enemy will begin to put depression and despondency and a woe is me spirit on you. And church, I want to break that off of you today because God is too good and he's too intimately involved in your life to leave you under the broom tree, underneath the devil's voice and under his junk that we are to live lives of victory we run to be this is running to try to project an image that isn't real we see this in our culture too we either run to feel or we run to have or we run to be can i tell you what the most freeing thing that's ever happened to me today because pastors are the worst at this pastors are the worst you know they how many people you have in church today it's like 500 pastor only sees 320 there's a guy on a bicycle that stopped for five minutes. And I, I counted him too. As pastors especially, we get caught up in those things where we forget that if we do not find our identity in God, in Christ, and who He created us to be, then we're always running to try to fill something in our lives. Because oftentimes we run to try to be something that we're not. So there's a running that we see here. A run to be, a run to... It's finding a place in God when we, where we transform our pain into healing. Amen? Uh, listen, a lot of people, I've pastored for a long time, a lot of people have not transformed their pain into healing. Prison ministry that you ladies do and these precious people do. That's one of the main goals, in my opinion, of going in and ministering to these people. They've been through severe pain. And if they don't transform that into a place of healing, then they will transfer it off into other people in their future. Are you hearing me this morning? If we don't allow God to transform our pain from our past into something transformative to where we can witness to other people and say, hey, God, change this in me. Here's what I see God is doing in this story, and it's a lesson for us. When you are running from something and find yourself in a place of hurt, perplexed, despondent, it's good to remember that you have a God that will feed and take care of you even in the condition you find yourself in. That's a beautiful part of the story to me. As God saw where he was, God knew where he was, and God wasn't just going to leave him there in despondency. God fed him. God took, God strengthened him. When you trust in the reliability of God, you appeal to two things. One is his character. 
So he was calling Elijah, Elijah, I want you to trust me again. Don't just, don't just look at the great victory and the fire that fell and the, the destruction of God's enemies. I want you to know and understand that you can trust in my character. And not just his character, but then we see we can trust in the works of God. Amen? So what he has done for others, God will do for you because of his character that we can look at and trust. So my question this morning is, what are you running from? What are you running to? What journey is God trying to strengthen you with, even like moments we had this morning in the presence of God? What God's doing is coming into the room, and He wants to feed you on His goodness. He wants to feed you and to strengthen you for the journey ahead. Because I found that running away from problems doesn't solve them. It only compounds them. Can I get an amen? Like a child lost in the woods, Elijah's fearful, he's running, he's 120 miles away from the purpose and the call of God upon his life. And in verse 3 it says, Elijah started in fear. Now in verse 4, he's having suicidal thoughts. What started as being afraid turned into a severe problem and he's under the tree. Everybody say under. And what is he doing while he's under the tree? In my opinion, and we get this way too, when we're running from something and we're, we're, we're fearful of the enemy, we're fearful of life, we're fearful of our future, whatever that fear. Fears of the enemy, by the way. As a child of God, I want to tell every person in this room this morning, you have nothing to fear. Because your God is with you. Your God is for you. But I know that when I'm running from something either God has told me to do and I don't want to do it or... I've got something out ahead of me, the bad doctor's report or the kids or something. You know, my daughter's fixing to start driving here in about three or four weeks. That worries the fire out of me. And I start to get fearful. And what happens to me is the same thing I believe was happening to Elijah before he ever makes it to the mountain God has for him. And it's something called ruminating. Everybody say ruminating. Ruminating is sitting under a tree that God never told you to sit under, running from things God never told you to run from because he had the power to overcome Jezebel. He had the power to overcome it. If he, if he killed all the prophets and sent fire, you don't think he's going to take care of this over here? But how often do I see great things happen in my life and then a week later I'm already doubting God again because we're human, Amen. And what I do is I sit under my own broom trees and I begin to ruminate. What is ruminating? Ruminating is rehearsing what the enemy would like you to rehearse in your mind because the battle I'm talking about for Elijah is the same battle that you face every single day, Mark, and that is what is the enemy trying to speak into your mind? That's the battlefield. We all know that. For so a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So we begin to ruminate. We begin to rehearse. Do you realize that every minute you are actually talking to yourself between five and 6,000 words per minute? Nothing wrong with talking to yourself. Just don't answer yourself. That's when it gets to be a problem. Don't answer yourself. And listen, what you're doing is you're forming, you're forming in your mind all the things that are, you think are going to happen, Right? So you're rehearsing. In other words, your words create worlds. Your thought life is affecting you far more than what you could ever imagine. Because if I could look at a a person like Elijah, who was a great prophet of God, who saw this great victory, in between verse 3 and verse 4, he goes from the victory, it's raining, Elijah, the praise God, all these things happen, to in another verse, he's 120 miles away, says he wants to give up and die, and says it's all over with. That is how quickly the enemy can pull the rug out from under us. But I bet you those thoughts didn't start when he was standing there getting the report from from Jezebel because they never do. In other words, one of the one of the first things that we need to do is to ask ourselves what are we thinking about on a regular basis? If you're constantly thinking about, well, I guess I'm just running from this and it's always going to be this way and I'm resigned to this sickness, I'm resigned to my family always being in lack and I'm resigned to my kids always going half half crazy and doing whatever and all that stuff. Listen to me, you've got to get a hold of those thoughts and take them captive to the obedience of Christ. Because your words create worlds. Because whatever you're thinking about, if you you have five, six thousand words per minute... 
Guess what? Over the course of the day, you've created about 30 worlds that don't exist. And some of you living out of that fear and that anxiety and those places where the enemy is trying to point out, yeah, there's no future for you. There's not going to be a future for your grandkids. I'm going to destroy the world. And Elijah fell into this trap. Because it is hard to get rid of the enemy's accusation and the enemy's voice and him constantly lying right here between our ears. Amen? Amen. Anybody else find it hard to get rid of his junk? Amen. I have. It's like a comedian I heard tell a story one time about trying to throw away a trash can. And he said, I need to throw away this trash can. So when he put his trash out, he had four cans. The one can was, you know, beaten up and he wanted to throw it away. So he went out and he turned it upside down on top of the other trash cans. And when they came and did the the trash removal, they just took the can that was there like sitting on top. So he put it back down and they put them back up. He got home that night and he said, ah, they they don't get it. So he, he went out and he stuffed it down inside of one of the other trash cans of the next week and put it out. They pulled it out of that trash can. And they put it back up nice and neat and left it there. And then the next week, he's like, I'll fix this. He took a sledgehammer and he beat it and beat big dents in it. When he got home that night, the trash guy had beat the dents out of it (laughs) and had put it back up. He couldn't get rid of this thing. You ever feel like you just can't get rid of what the enemy's trying to shoot the arrows of accusation and the fiery darts and all of his ruminating? He was sitting under the broom tree ruminating. So after the fourth time, he said, I'll fix this. So he went to a hardware store, got a chain and a lock, and chained it up in his front yard. And that night, somebody stole it. Problem problem solved. Problem solved. It is hard when we get ingrained with what the enemy is saying and, and doing in our lives instead of what God is saying and doing. In other words, he's sitting under the tree. He's feeling sorry for himself. He's weak because he hasn't eaten. And he just sits and ruminates ruminates, rehearses, rehearses the words of Jezebel. Listen, if you are rehearsing more of what the enemy's saying, you're going to live in defeat. You begin rehearsing and declaring what God said over the situation and declaring who you are in Christ, then you begin to come up to another level. Sometimes God's just got to feed us with his hand. Hey, get up. That's a word for some of y'all. Get up, dust yourself off. God has much more for you in your future than what He has in your past. Don't let the enemy lie to you. Amen? Amen. He's ruminating. He's thinking. Because you have a dialogue in your own inner self every single day. And some of you just walk around, I'm defeated, I can't ever... It's time to change that. We say to ourselves, you know, we dwell on certain things. This is, Lord, this isn't the life I expected. Lord, this isn't the marriage I expected. Lord, this isn't the kids I expected. Come on, somebody. Yeah. And what we end up saying is, Lord, I just don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. You know, we get so worried about license where you know, we talk about how free we are in Christ, but we don't use that freedom as an occasion to sin. We submit ourselves to God and live according to His way. Listen to me, if license is killed, it's thousands, then then I want to tell you this right here where we just feel like we can't has has pulled tens of thousands of people away from Christ and into the trap of the enemy. So he stops at that tree. The tree, to me, is a place of surrender. There's Each mountain we're going to look at over the next seven weeks, I was amazed as I studied this the last several months, there's always a tree. When when Abraham goes to Mount Moriah, he's out the next morning cutting a tree. I'm telling you, it all shadows and harkens back to the original story in the garden, and it's pointing towards Mount Calvary that we'll look at in seven weeks. It's beautiful. But he ends up under a tree. And here's what I want you to catch. The Bible says he continues on to get to Horeb, the Mount of God. You may not know this, but Elijah did. And Horeb had another name, Mount Sinai. And it represented where God, listen, it represented where God had moved before. And I want to tell you something today, that if God has moved before, how many has God moved in your life before? I hope everybody, everybody, yes. 
Listen to me. The same God that moved in your life before, you begin to make that journey back to the place of intimacy. You begin to make that journey back to the place of God speaking to your heart again. You begin to make that journey back to the place that God has for you. And listen to me. If God did it before church, He'll do it again. Because Elijah knew something we need to know today. What God has done before, God can meet me there again. So Elijah has decided, he decides, I'm not going to die under the broom tree. I have to get up that mountain. I don't know who I'm talking to to today, but I promise you that the enemy is counting on you staying under your broom tree today. He's counting on you continuing to ruminate on something that God said, leave in the past and begin to move forward into your future towards Mount Horeb. Because church, here's, here's the key that God is leading him to. To the place where God had met and moved before is the place that God is getting him up and strengthening him in for the journey ahead, 40 days, 40 nights, traveling to the place where God has for him in his future. Because church, here's the key. You have got to get into the presence of God. I talk about it all the time, but that is the key we find in the story. When you're despondent, when the enemy's uh, threatening you and saying all these things and you have all this warfare going on in your mind, you have got to get a place. You need to be in church as much as you possibly can. I'm not just saying that because I'm your pastor. It's the truth. In the world that we live in, the culture in the world is going to continually pull you away and put you under a broom tree. In church, we need to find ourselves back in the presence of God. In His presence is fullness of joy. In His presence is life. doesn't say you'll never experience pain, you'll never experience setbacks, you'll never experience doubt, you'll never experience any of those things. Because if we're all honest with each other here this morning, we've all experienced those places. We've all been running from something into something that's unhealthy. We've all done it. But sometimes I wonder if this is how Jesus thought, because we're talking about God didn't move the mountain. God gave him strength to climb up the mountain. And I'm thinking of Jesus, and we'll, we'll, we'll celebrate this here in seven weeks, but I'm thinking of Jesus, because think about this. What if Jesus said, you know what, I just can't climb up that mountain. His back is, is, is literally shredded from being whipped, a crown of thorns pressed into his head, beaten, over and over and over again. He's carrying the beams of a heavy cross. In church, what if Jesus decided and said, Father, I can't go up that mountain, but today I am thankful that Jesus climbed up that mountain of Mount Calvary because it's that mountain. Because Jesus looked at that mountain and it says that for the joy set before Him, He climbed up that mountain, despising its shame. What was the joy that was set before Him? You. Because Jesus said, on February 18, 2024, there's going to be somebody that's sitting under a broom tree in Little Old Homosassa Christian Center Church, and I'm going to speak to their heart, pull them out of the miry muck, and I'm going to... You see, there's some teenagers sitting right there in the back that God was thinking about. Amen? He was saying that if I go up there and pay the price, then they don't have to sit under the thumb and the rule and the, and the enemy's voice any longer. Don't sit under your broom tree. And I thank God that when God gets him up, just like Elijah is making his way to where... Because if we can't climb the mountain and you don't have the strength, good. You're not supposed to rely on your own strength. You're supposed to rely on His. The Word of God says that He makes our, 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 our feet like hind's feet. He causes our feet to be like deer that can climb up. Because sometimes things aren't going to move. I love the miraculous. I love when God just plucks it up and moves it because we miss something in the Scripture that says when you speak to this mountain. In other words, if God didn't say it's going to move, honey, it ain't moving. And if it's not moving, quit speaking to it and get your climbing shoes on. Because God did not remove the mountain and the cross from Jesus Christ, His own and one and only Son's life. He gave Him strength to climb up it and to pay a price. And in this story, we see Elijah finally get up and begin to move. Aren't you glad you don't have to die under the broom tree today? I am. My heart for you and for your family to get to this mountain, the mountain of God's presence. That's what we're going to see here in just a moment. 
It's the mountain of God's presence. The mountain of God's victory. Buddy, if you'd come. So he makes this journey. You can read the rest of the story for the sake of time. He makes this journey. God has strengthened him under the broom tree. He gets him shaken out of his wrong thinking. The ruminating. She's going to kill me. She's going to kill me. She's going to kill me. I'm going to die. I'm the only one left. I'm the only one left. I'm the only one left. I'm the only one serving God. I'm the only one serving God. I'm the only one serving God. And God shakes him up and says, hey, get up. Dust yourself off. Begin to come back. Listen, Jesus said very clearly in his word, you have left your first love. Be zealous and repent. If you're here today and you're running from something, listen, what you need to run to into is the loving arms of God to restore some first love in your life. He comes back to the place where he begins to climb this mountain. And then in the story, God does something incredibly unusual. And we're talking about mountains over these next seven weeks. And this is a, you, you, almost everybody in here has read it. But if you haven't, what God does is he sends a powerful wind that starts to tear the mountain apart. But the wind wasn't God. Then he sends an earthquake and shakes the very ground under Elijah's feet. But the earthquake isn't God. Then he sends a fire like he sent on Mount Carmel with the great victory. In other words, it's mimicking and hearkening back to Mount Sinai when the covenant was given and the Ten Commandments were given and God makes a covenant with His people Israel. There was fire. The earth shook. There was a great wind that that kicked up. The presence of God began to come down. But listen to me this morning. We are usually always looking for the spectacular and the grand and the mountain being plucked up by the earthquake and burnt by fire and the wind removing that mountain and plucked up and cast into the midst of the sea when we're praying, we're believing. But here in this story, it made it very clear that, Elijah, I am not in those spectacular things. I am just going to come to you. And, and here, here's what I see in this story. This is our first stop on our Seven Mountain series. The first stop we see here is literally, here, here's what it says. It says, a still small voice. But if you dig into that a little bit, here's literally what it was saying. Was the sound of sheer silence. The sound of sheer Silence. And it's not God having this whole long conversation with Elijah. The image that I have is just God comes to his child (laughs) that he's very concerned about his condition and his running away from something and running to despondency, depression, and fear. And it's just his heavenly father showing up saying, Elijah, why are you here? Because it was a moment for Elijah to finally experience God's peace. There is nothing like the peace of God. He wasn't in the earthquake. He wasn't in the fire. He wasn't in the wind. But there's this moment where this holy moment, because it says Elijah Elijah covered his face because he knew God wasn't in those three things that just happened. He was now present and there. And all Elijah, and God didn't want to have these long conversations. He just wanted Elijah to know, son, you don't have to stay under the broom tree. You don't have to stay under what you have. And he speaks to him in a still, small voice. In part, I think it's to remind his tired prophet that God works just as efficiently through the seemingly unimpressive as he does through the spectacular. The point in the way that he responded and came to Elijah was Elijah finally makes his way to the mountain of God, Mount Sinai. And these spectacular things happened. Previously, the spectacular had happened in the fire falling and the, the false prophets getting burned up. And then he gets fearful, like we all do. We're human. Then he gets, he gets, he gets in a place where he's running away. God gets him up, brings him back to a place where there's a restoration beginning to happen. And it wasn't in the spectacular. God wants us to know that most of your intimacy will be birthed out of just the mundane. Amen? We don't value the mundane. We don't value 
even just sitting in the presence of God, hearing that still, small voice. I want to end with the story today. This was just a few months ago. I had so much on my heart. So much on my heart. I began to get a little bit of despondency because there were several things that I've been praying for that just haven't changed like I wanted them to change. I remember I was sitting in my chair. It was silence. I was listening for the voice of God and I was praying that the earthquake would show up and shake some people that I needed Him to shake. Amen? God, shake them. Wake them up. Get them back right with you. I needed the fire to come to heal people that I was praying for. I needed the wind to blow so that this church wouldn't be a church of saying that we have the power of God, but that we actually really possess the power of God. So I was praying that God... Would His Spirit would blow through this place and fill every willing vessel in this house. I was praying all these things. And I started to get despondent. I started to get depressed. Because over a period of months, I had not seen even the slightest inkling of an answer from God. I began to feel like Elijah felt in saying, God, sometimes what? You know... <laughs> This is a, I want to tell you something about the Christian life. If you've been sold a bill of goods that it's easy, you've been sold a bill of goods. Are you hearing me? It's hard to, to continue, especially in the culture we live in, to continue to keep your eyes on God, your, your, your heart filled with faith. It can be difficult. And I was, like Elijah, I was in the mully grubs. I was feeling sorry for myself. I'll never forget this as long as I live. I'd gone and laid down. I'm one of those types that I don't go to bed until I'm literally I'm almost falling asleep as I'm walking. I don't like to lay in bed awake. So I'm literally right at the verge of sleep. Within 30 seconds, I'm out. But that night, I laid my head down on the pillow, and it was dead silence in my room, except for Leah snoring. <laughs> but we'll, we'll, we'll leave that out of the story. Don't tell her I said that. And y'all... God came in the room. And when I say God came in the room, it was literally like Elijah had to have felt in that moment. He's run. He, he hides out in a cave because I think he started to come to the conclusion after 40 days and 40 nights, like I have many times in my life. I was just, you just get embarrassed. You get in the cave because he starts to think, man, I... God, I shouldn't have doubted you like that. God, I, I should trust you more than I trust you. I've walked with you too long not to trust you. And I was having those same thoughts in my heart. And listen to me. The, the presence of God came in the room in such a way that everything that I had been crying out to him that night about, he just had to simply, just like he did for Elijah, the presence of God came and there was such a supernatural peace that began to flood my soul. And the Lord just spoke in a still small voice in this man's heart. And he said, it's going to be okay. When God tells you it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay. And there were several of those things that I've been praying about within the next few weeks. I started to see change and shift. But we're so focused on what God wants to do in a spectacular way, we forget that He wants to come to us in a simple way and just give us peace that passes understanding. And that's what James was talking about, that Elijah is a man with the same passions and the same mix-ups and the same doubts and the same, same makeup that everybody sitting in this room is made up of. The same exact way. Same. But Elijah was also one, and it goes on to say, that by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace that passes all understandings. You see, I was in my other room trying to figure all these things out. Elijah's trying to figure everything out. Is, is, is she going to kill me? Is, is this going to happen? Is that going to happen? And he got depressed, despondent. God's answer wasn't an earthquake. It wasn't a comet, an asteroid to hit Jezebel's, you know, her castle and, and destroy her. She, she'll be taken care of by God. 
God just simply wanted to wrap his arms around his son and just whisper to him, Elijah, why are you here? Why, why? That's a question for some of you. Why are you in the place you're in this morning? Are you listening more to the voice of the enemy? Or are you opening your heart and your life to listen for that still small voice? Because when, when God's presence comes, I lost my dad about four years ago. It was on Christmas. We lost another gentleman in the church, and within five, six hours, I lost my dad. He had been in the hospital. Not good health, but it was sudden to me. So they called and said, he's getting out. And there's something different when you wake up and know dad's not around anymore. I wasn't, I wasn't ready for that. And I put on my car hearts. I was in Ohio, and it was snowing a lot. And Leah said, well, you okay? I said, yeah, baby. I said, I'm just going to go out and sit in the snow. It's freezing cold. But y'all, as I sat there, and God has done this for this man so many times in my life, where he just shows up. He doesn't fix my problems. He just shows me how much he loves me, how much he cares about me and what is on my heart and on my shoulders. And there's just that peace that passes all. You don't have to figure it out and understand it. It just comes. And God's still small voice comes into our life and into our heart. And the circumstance may or may not change, but now He's changed you, which is far more important because we run from things and we're of the proclivity to run to things that are very unhealthy for us. And when we get honest before God and say, God, I'm running from something. I feel the Holy Spirit stand up with me. Because I believe in the moment that we're in right now, the presence of God that has been here since we hit the first key on the keyboard, He's here, and He's here for a purpose. He's here because He knew that this very so-so preacher would be saying so-so words, but we serve a really big God that can take so-so and do something miraculous in your heart right now in this moment. There are some here that you have been living under the cloud of depression. And the Spirit of God is in this house right now to minister and to... Listen, I see it in my mind's eye, my spirit's eye. Those clouds are breaking right now. The, 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 the still small voice of the Holy Spirit is coming and literally changing something in you and over you. There are some... There is somebody here under the sound of my voice. You literally are one of the few that have, you have chemical things going on that are causing this. And the Lord says he is literally changing chemistry for some of you today. He's doing a miracle right now in your life and in your heart where he's breaking off the heaviness. The Holy Spirit is speaking to some of you and saying, get up, son, get up, daughter, dust yourself off and understand that God has a date circle. It may be not be in this moment, but it may be in a moment when you lay your head down to rest. It may be in a moment when you're at work. It may be a moment when you're driving in your car in a couple days that the presence of God will just move in and change everything. It'll break off that cloud. It'll break off that depression. It'll break off that despondency. There's some here that you are so worried about your future. God, I, I don't know what I'm going to do about this. I don't know what... And, and the thing of it is, is you're in the place you're in because of your own bad decisions. But I'm telling you this morning, you have a loving Heavenly Father that even through our bad decisions can work all things together for good. He is working in your life even now. Some of you that feel so lonely, the Lord wants you to know He'll come and He'll be your companion. Some of you that feel like you've blown it so bad that there's no way God could ever lift you up and forgive you and put you back on the right path, that is a lie from the pit of hell. There are no hopeless cases with God. All we have to do is, like Elijah, is just bow our self to God covering our face, understanding it's a holy moment right now that we're in where the presence of God is in this room in such a powerful way. Father, I pray for this congregation. I pray for every heart. I pray for every person. 
that that still, small voice, that tangible, beautiful, incredible, awesome, first love, presence of Almighty God would come and rest upon each life and upon each heart. Lord, would You speak to us in Your still, small voice? Would You speak to us in the night seasons when we don't know which end is up and we don't know which way to go? Lord, I pray for this congregation that we would hear a voice from behind. This is the way. Walk You in it. Father, would You give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to our lives and to our hearts? Lord, would You give us eyes to see the victory that is before us, that, Lord, if You decide not to move the mountain, then, I, God, I pray today that there would be an infusion of Holy Ghost strength in and over the people of God that would cause us to climb up that mountain. And on top of that mountain is an encounter with the living God because, God, You just want us sometimes even just come and just sit with us and remind us of who we are and whose we are. Lord, the love of God that's shed abroad in the hearts of the people of God by the Holy Spirit. God, I pray that love would just flow down and wash away hurt, pain from the past. Somebody in here, you have been so hurt through abuse when you were a kid. God says He's healing that right now. You've, you've carried that scar. You've carried that pain. You've said to yourself, that must have been my fault. The Lord says it is not. Bad stuff happens, church. And bad stuff happens to good people. But we have a good God. We have a good Heavenly Father that loves you and cares for you and is for you. Some of you, you have a business. And you sometimes feel like you're keeping 50 plates spinning at the same time. The Lord says He sees your heart and He sees your desire to want to take care of people, to want to keep things going because you know it provides. God says He is strengthening you even right now. He sees that you're trying to bear up under a heavy load that seems impossible. The Lord says that take His yoke upon you. For His yoke is easy and His burden is light. You weren't meant to carry all this yourself but we can lay it down before the Lord right now in this moment. We do that, Jesus. We lay aside every fear. We lay aside every anxiety. And Lord, we come up to Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai, where You made a covenant with Your people. And Father, I pray that the presence of God would continually be in and upon the people of God. That the yoke-destroying anointing that is present in this house would destroy the yoke of bondage and addiction and anything that's of not of God, let it be destroyed in Jesus' name by the blood of Jesus right now. Jesus. It is for freedom that He has set you free. Don't entangle yourself again under a yoke of bondage of the enemy. But remember that God has set you free so that you could walk in freedom, you could enjoy freedom, and that you could provide freedom for the person and people He puts around you this day. Lord, we love You today. Just lift Your hands with me. Lord, we bless Your name and we thank You for Your mighty presence in this service today, God. I thank You for the work that You're doing in our hearts and in our lives and in our kids and our kids' kids. I thank You today, Lord, of the work You're doing in our marriages of bringing them to a place of healing. I thank You for the work that You're doing in healing Lupita and Larry and Robert and others. God, You are a healing God. We do not fear what the enemy can do, but we keep our eyes fixed upon You today, Jesus. I pray the richest blessings of God upon the people of God today. Lord, I thank You that You are our shepherd. We have no need. That, God, You lead each and every person beside the peaceful stream. And that You take us by the hand and You bless our lives. That, God, this day, our hand is in Yours and You're leading us into those green pastures and those still waters. Because, Father, we declare today, You are in control. 
Bless the people of God mightily, Father. May they be blessed as they come in and may they be blessed as they go out. May they be blessed in their work and blessed in their homes. We speak the blessings of God over our children, over our extended families, and we ask you, Lord, that you would put your holy angels round about each person in life and family. Protect and watch over us until we come back together here at the appointed time. Lord, as we dismiss today from this place, may we never be dismissed from your holy presence. May that presence go before us, around us, behind us, to our left and to our right. And may you cover each and every heart and soul with your glorious presence that Elijah experienced on that mountaintop, Father. God, we love you and we praise you and we're careful to give you every ounce of glory in Jesus' mighty name. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Tithe and offering boxes are in the back if you want to take advantage of that. Go in the name of the Lord and be blessed. And nobody's told you they love you today. Your pastor loves you. And more importantly, Jesus loves you. Amen. Go in the name of Jesus, church.